You're listening to the Business Made Simple podcast. As a company, we certify the world's best business coaches. And on this podcast, we teach you everything you need to know to grow a business. I'm podcast producer Bobby Richards, and welcome back to part five of our seven-part series, How Your Business is Like an Airplane. And if you haven't yet, go listen to the first four parts of this series, where our hosts Donald Miller and co-hosts Dr. J.J. Peterson and Kula Callahan discuss in part one a detailed overview of how each part of an airplane corresponds to your business. Then in part two, explore the cockpit or your leadership. Part three focuses on the right engine or your marketing. And then part four takes a look at the left engine or your sales. Then finally, last week's left engine companion episode with Jamie Kern Lima was all about how to overcome your fear of sales. But if you're all caught up, come aboard for part five, the wings or your products and services. Let me ask you all a question. Are you really feeling the wind beneath your wings? Trust me, that'll make a lot more sense later. But seriously, are your products and services strong enough to keep your business airborne and cruising to its destination while also being light enough not to weigh it down? In this episode, the trio, Don, JJ, and Kula, help you strategize how to decide the best products and services to sell to increase your revenue and profit. And then Don talks one-on-one with entrepreneur Allison Trowbridge, who shares what she's learned in creating services from the ground up for her business and social media platform, Copper. This is Business Made Simple. JJ Kula. Hi, Don. Uh, name this tune. I'm going to read you some lyrics. You're okay. not going to sing it? Uh, we're trying to grow our podcast <laughs> listenership. It must have been cold there in it my must shadow. must have been cold there in my shadow. To never have sunlight on your face. Never have sunlight You were on content your to face. let me shine. That's you your way. You were content to let me shine. That's you always walked a step behind. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Is that your guess? <laughs> Are you guessing? Everything I would like to be. You can't pitch this against I the choir. I can higher <laughs> than an eagle. You are the wind beneath my wings. Oh, uh, yes, one of my favorites. You never play Name the Bette Midler song with a gay man. <laughs> yeah, Bette Midler's a diva. She is an yes, icon. Yes, Bette Midler, you queen. Yes, yes, there wow. it is. Congratulations, JJ. Two Thank in a row, you. by the way, because we played that uh, Who the Killed the Business. Yep. Yeah, and you got that one. I'm really good at games. <laughs> it's a uh, wind beneath my wings. The reason that I bring that up is because it's the wings episode. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> of the business a made simple. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you followed this podcast for four weeks now or so, yeah. we've been going through parts of an airplane. It, it's teaching you how to grow a business and mm-hmm. how a business really works. It's a very simple framework. And it basically says the cockpit is your leadership. The body of the airplane is your overhead. The right engine is your marketing. The left engine is your sales. The fuel tanks mm-hmm. are your cash flow. The wings are your products. Yes. And if Tell you have all this time, if you if you build that in proportion, you'll have a full functioning business. So today we're going to talk about products. What sort of products you need to build and create? What sort of products you shouldn't? I think for almost everybody listening, there's a product that they're selling that they need to kill. Oh boy. Put it out of its misery. <laughs> I thought that was going to go graphic, which is why I said, oh boy. There may be something that you can create that you come up with in the course of this podcast while listening to it that makes you a lot more money next year. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things to consider. You know, the rule is 
that the wings have to be strong and light. Well, I mean that to say in your business, your products need to be two things. They need to be profitable mm-hmm. and they need to be in demand. If they are not both of those things, they're probably not going to help. And there's only one caveat. If you're selling a product for low profit and it's a loss leader to something else, yeah, the, you know, but at the same time, it's st- that still general, that rule applies. It's leading to a bigger sell that's got to be either profitable or in demand. But let's actually go through some other criteria to think about. The idea while you're listening to us talk here, make a, a top to bottom list of here's the stuff we actually make the most money on. Here's the stuff we don't. And then we're going to do something with that list as we move along. But I'll ask you guys, in, in, as you've worked with thousands of companies now, what do you think of as a good product? What do you look for? The thing I always look for just to start is does it solve a problem? That's like that's cardinal rule. That's cardinal rule. The whole reason you're in business is if your product or service solves a problem for a customer. Right. And you're looking for potentially ways that are different to solve a problem than other companies are already currently doing. Or you're looking for a problem that is out there that nobody is solving. But every product you create has to solve a problem. And you have to be able to articulate what that problem is in your marketing. Right. But really just right up front is anytime you're looking at creating new products, you go, what problem does this solve? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the huge one. And, and I was just with my, my small group. I have a business small group, a bunch of entrepreneurs. We meet together. And it's, part of, it's one of the business made simple small groups. All mm-hmm. of our coaches do it, and I do it. And uh, I started putting websites on the screen. And I, started, I told them, look, I'm, I've got five seconds. I have to figure out what problem you solve. And most of them, I couldn't figure it out. And the point was, look, if I can't figure that out in five seconds, you are losing enormous amounts of money. Yeah. Because the only reason people part with their dollars is because they're trying to solve a problem. And if you want them to part with their dollars quicker, you need to, you're in a race with your competition to let people know what problem that is. And they have to be able to name it. Well, speaking of websites, one of the things that we do at Business Made Simple, before we even launch a product, when we're still kind of in that product creation, product development phase, is we actually create a sales landing page for this product because it helps us get really, really clear on not only what problem we're solving, but also how do we position this product in such a way that communicates to our target audience, you have this problem, we're going to help you solve it, and this is what life looks like on the other side. Yeah. So and another thing that we see a bunch of our clients experience is, you know, they're so close to their product or service, and it's intuitive to them what problem it solves. And they just think, well, duh, my customers know what problem I solve for them. They're going to buy my product. Yeah, but we that's project our knowledge yeah, a little too much. And, it's and costing us It a is lot costing us. And I think you've got to communicate so simply, it's as though you're communicating to a second grader. Yep. And I don't mean to... to demean our, our clients or whatever. You know, uh, I, was, I was thinking of the analogy of, you know, sometimes you pull up to an airport and it says no parking in the yellow zone. Green zone is for loading and unloading only, right? And it repeats it over and over. Why? Because everybody's busy. They're distracted. They're trying to communicate clearly. That's exactly where your customer lives. Yeah. And so if you go in and say, uh, it's so great to have you at the airport today. 
the airport actually goes back to the <laughs> 1950s and was named after the mayor of Topeka, who was here in the 1950s. And we are so glad you're here. As you load and unload, consider looking around at the local colors that are on the curbs. That's colors how so that many were chosen. Create their websites. It's actually out. that is actually yes. that really is. And you're sitting there going, man, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to load, unload? What is the problem that you can solve? Yep. And and you want to own a problem. You want to own it. And and I'm telling you, everybody listening, if when you launch a product, you need to ask yourself, what problem will this product own as the solution to that problem? We need to own it. And if somebody else owns that problem, I think it's a little bit of a, a red flag. You want, even if it's a great product and it's really valuable, because now you've got somebody who owns that real estate in the conscious mind of most consumers. And you're going to have to differentiate a little bit. For instance, you're going to have to be less expensive. Yours has to work faster. There's something that says, you know, they do a good job solving the problem. We do a better job solving the problem. Yeah. I think it's important, too, to point out, like, this isn't a subjective conversation. It's quite literally based on how the human brain is wired, right? right? So people ask us all the time, why do you have to talk about the problem in such simple language? Isn't that so boring and uncreative? Maybe, but it results in a lot more money in your bank account because brains are wired to pay attention to information that will help them survive, right? right? It's a primal instinct. So we don't even know it, but our brain is constantly filtering out information that we don't need. JJ always tells this metaphor, and I love it. When you're in a movie theater, you don't know how many other seats are in that movie theater, but you know where the exit signs are. Because Mm. if there's a fire, you got to get out. What that means for you as a business leader, as a communicator, as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, is that you've got to whittle down that language, the problem language, if you will, into such simple words that people not only immediately realize this person can help me, but that they remember when they experience that problem later on in the week or in their life, they go back to you and say, oh, that one time I encountered this website he told me that he could solve this very problem I'm dealing with. I'm going to go buy his product. Yeah, because when they when when they experience a problem, they go through the rolodex of of what products are associated with solving that problem. Right. And if you tell them about talk about how your grandfather started the company, you're not in their rolodex. Totally. Think about and I'm conscious of tooting my own horn a little bit, so put up with me if you will. <laughs> I, I was born an infomercial host, but the you know business made simple. Just last night we found out it sold twice as many books as any other book we've ever released. Mm-hmm. Why would it sell twice as much? And I'm convinced it's the way we framed the problem. Yeah. Because we could have said, look, if you need help growing your business, I've got a book that'll take you through that. If we said, which we did, if you go off to get a business education, there's two problems. You have massive college debt. And you don't remember what you learned when you need it. Yeah. So if you need a quick business education that will catch you up and make a lot of money, catch you up in 60 days, because it's 60 daily entries, consider business made simple. 30,000 books in eight days. That's yeah. And I'm, I'm convinced it's because we so closely associated it with a problem that the culture is feeling. John, JJ, and Kula will be back in just a minute to continue helping you keep your business's wings light and strong. And as you develop and hone your products and services, you'll need to make sure your marketing message for each one is in line with your business's overall message. Not exactly sure how to do that? Well, you're in luck. Because this Marketing Made Simple moment with Dr. JJ Peterson will help you do just that. JJ talked with StoryBrand certified guide Wes Gay of Wayfinder about clarifying the marketing language between multiple services offered by his client, Belay, a company that works with other companies to hire administrative assistants. 
Wes gives his top three tips any business can implement to keep all of their product marketing in sync and on brand. We get the question all the time, how do you fit the individual division messaging under the umbrella message? How did you do that when you started working with Belay? What we ended up doing in their case, because at the time there was three, now there's four divisions, is trying to figure out what, it, what is the common thread among all the things they do. I have worked personally with probably 125, 130 companies, specifically with StoryBrand, not including live workshop coaching. One of the things I've seen with brands uh, is that they, get, they can get, when they're wanting to story brand everything, and we've turned story brand into a verb, which I love, but once they get, want to get all story brandy and story branded, they think they always have to go top down. Sometimes you can work in reverse and you can look in your services or you can look at your divisions and say, okay, we're not really sure what our overall is yet. Let's start talking about the, the unique things we do and look for the commonalities. One of the great things about story brand is because it forces you to get more specific and more clear is that you're either inviting people into your story or the wrong people are going, yeah, the story isn't for me. Yeah. What are three things that you did with Belay that you think everybody out there could do, especially if they have kind of these multiple divisions in their company? One of the breakdowns is larger companies who have divisions is the sales team doesn't get involved with the messaging. So if we can get the sales team on board with the right words, shock, it works. Because your sales team is kind of is the front line in terms of one-on-one. So get the sales team on board is number one. Number two, sometimes you're going to find that you need to actually relook at every single thing you're doing, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things I remember early on, we did the initial project and then we were working on some event they were going to, they were advertising for and they sent me their uh, postcard. And the, the image had nothing to do with what we were trying to accomplish, what they approved in the brand script. So I wrote it back and said, hey, remember... We talked about this as an image of success. Yeah. So let's go actually literally find a, a, a literal image that reflects what we said over here. Yeah. And then the third thing is, I tell this to everybody, is realize that story brand and the story brand framework specifically is not just a sales funnel framework. It's not just a marketing framework. It's a communications toolbox. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're creating, whether it's, an, whether it's a weekly email, whether it's a podcast, whether it's an Instagram post, whether it's an email, an email nurture sequence that's going to be automated, sales collateral, whatever it is, always go back to that toolbox and say, what tools do I need to pull out for this specific piece of content? I love that. So align your sales team with your marketing, which I think is huge, getting them, once you create the language, putting them on the same page, going back through everything from emails to postcards to website, go back through your material once you have a clear message. And then also understand that this is an ongoing thing that you have multiple tools that you can pull from for social media posts and everything. I love that. Well, here's to a 2021 where I can give you a hug in person. And um, until then, uh, we will continue virtually chatting and cheering each other on. Thanks, JJ. Your marketing doesn't have to be complicated. If you want to work with the best marketers in the world to clarify your message, hire a StoryBrand certified guide today by going to marketingmadesimple.com. Or if you are a marketer and want to join our amazing guide community, apply now at storybrand.com guide. And now back to our conversation about the wings. If you are looking for wings that are going to get the plane off the ground, is identify what is the problem the product solves And then how do you create a clear website to launch that product? So JJ, essentially what you're saying is get all the junk off the wings so that your airplane has lift and goes further faster. Yeah. So a mistake that we see a lot of people make is, you know, they'll create junk products just for the sake of creating a new product and having another thing to sell. And I would caution you if that's kind of where your brain goes, instead of just creating these products to have something in the wings, 
why don't you think about iterating on current products that you have that are profitable and in demand that you know the market needs and that you know helps your customers experience success and create iterations of that. So perhaps it is, you know, a second tier of a product or service that you currently offer or maybe a subscription service to enhance a product or service that your customers are currently loving. So resist the urge to just create junk products that stuff up the wings, because if the wings are really heavy with products that are not profitable, your plane doesn't have the lift that it Well, really and your needs. whole business starts feeling like a garage sale. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's like, what's laying around here that we could sell yes. and make a little yeah. money? And you know what? That That's fine, except it gets harder and harder to know what problem you solve. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you have to do something like Walmart, of course, has, you know, a garage sale of thousands of products, but they're known for low prices. Yep. You know, think about Tesla. It's a great example. Tesla built the you know, the world's biggest car brand, if you just look at valuation, which is crazy. (laughs) They built it with one car that you couldn't even get. They just went into malls (laughs) and built a showroom with the one car and you could pre-order that car. I think if they would have launched, uh, you know, four different sedans, uh, six different SUVs and a truck, they wouldn't have made it. I I once, you know, really had a hard conversation with somebody on my team about the fact that they kept chasing $5,000. Yep. And so we had a hard conversation because they, they would want me to go speak for $5,000. But every time I spoke, I couldn't stay home and write a book. And so that chasing of a little bit of money to pay rent is costing you the opportunity cost that you could be using to build something else. So that's another consideration. Kula yep. had a great one, iterate yep. on what you've already got. And then I would say, always measure opportunity cost. How much is creating this product going to take energy away from important products that we are currently doing? Not just energy, but in the minds of our customers, yes. is this going to confuse them about what we do? One of the ways that we love to iterate products and kind of stay in our lane, so we're still solving a problem, is subscriptions. Finding a way of what you call uh, getting mailbox money, right? Mm, (laughs) Finding a way to create subscription services where people are continuing to give you money for the product or service that you offer in a consistent way over and over, monthly, yearly, however it works. Yeah, that's just getting money to pay your bills. I I like it when a business has some sort of subscription service that pays the majority of their overhead. Yeah. Right? So you just want that money coming. In fact, a great story recently, don't get mad at me, I went to the movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went to AMC Theater. Uh-huh. Were, I'm the only one there. It's the safest place in the world. If you don't want to get COVID, go to the movies. It's the, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It is the perfect time to go to the movies. I am the only person in the entire IMAX. And it, they, they, I went for a 40-minute documentary about Michael Jordan. Of I was course. like, I can't. I got to sneak in there. And I'm literally going, Did this isn't going to last. And then I thought, about it. I said, wait a second. AMC launched a subscription service yep. long before COVID. AMC is fine. I'm sure a lot of people have dropped their subscriptions, but enough have kept their subscriptions, plus you know, government stimulus checks <laughs> probably helped a lot, that it doesn't matter if the theaters are full because those seats are paid for. Yeah. Car wash services, um, That's right. monthly car wash services, pet grooming. I mean, there's a lot of people that have created these subscriptions that are still in their lane. They're not creating new products outside of the problem that they solve. They're just iterating their current product to allow it to be a subscription service That's right. and pay for the bills right up front. Well, okay. So we've got a lot here. We want to ask ourselves first, does it solve a problem? Second, can you iterate on an existing product so you don't risk confusing what you're known for? 
if you can get passive income, what we call mailbox money, in some form of subscription, you want to do that. You want to make a landing page before you launch the product and start a wait list to see if this is actually interesting. It's a great way to test before you have a bunch of uh, resources poured into that. I would also add, set some goals. Set some revenue goals and set some uh, you know, numbers. You know, can we sell 5,000 in the first month? That's how we're going to know. And the reason I want you to set goals is because it's just human nature to chase a bad investment. Uh, we bail on products quick. I don't care. I don't care if we've worked our butts off for a year. If it doesn't work, walk away fast. Because every minute you spend trying to make that product work is a minute you've spent not making the one that's going to work. Yeah. So don't get emotionally attached to this stuff. Yep. You're basically trying to serve customers. And what customers will, will tell you is, that doesn't solve any of my problems. So listen to them. And when you do that, you know what you'll be able to do is fly, fly so high against the sky. So high, I almost touched the sky. Thank you. My thank you. God, that's gorgeous. Thank God for you. The wind beneath my wing. I've waited years for you <laughs> to <laughs> recognize oh boy. Oh boy. that oh, I am the wind beneath your wings, JJ. You are, No pun done. intended. Let's land this plane and uh, keep things going, guys. Well, to talk more about this, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody we all know, Allie Trowbridge. Allie's been a good friend for a very long time. And she started a company called Copper. She actually went off to Oxford and, and her professor told her, you need to start this business because she had an idea. And it's been so fun to watch Allie do some of the things that we've talked about. And I think she's just a great example of how to do it right. So uh, here's my conversation with Allison Trowbridge. She has a company called Copper and we'll ask her what it's all about and how she iterated on a product so that it would work. Allie Trowbridge, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Don. So good to see you. You and I go way back, and I've followed your career and what you've been doing. You went off to Oxford and studied business with very, very smart people. Somebody sat you down and said, you should take the idea that you came up with and actually do it. Yep. And now you have a company called Copper. Now, it started as a community app where you could start and host a book club. Oh, it started way before that. It started as... A okay, give me the iterations because I want everybody to hear what a product goes through before it's, it's brought to market. You have to be thinking about how much is it going to cost to create it? Is there a built-in demographic that's going to buy it? How much are we going to charge for it? And in each of those stages, the whole thing could fall apart. Look, when it comes to creating a product, it really starts with finding a problem and getting a really high conviction around that problem. And for me, while I was going through business school, I was also publishing a book with HarperCollins with Thomas Nelson. And in that process was just really frustrated with what it felt like as an author to bring a book to market. And it was kind of this, you know, why hasn't anyone disrupted this space? There has to be a better way. What you were seeing is an industry that not, had not really been disrupted since Martin Luther knifed his white paper to the doors of the Wittenberg, whatever, right? <laughs> I was going to I was gonna say Jeff Bezos, but yeah. <laughs> and, and it was one of those things where I was like, why is it that every author I know is frustrated and feels like you pour your heart and soul into this product and the product being the book, 
And then you have to go out and do this shameless self-promotion. You know, you've got authors trying to do dances on TikTok to sell a book. (laughs) You're getting you're hitting too close to home. This hurts. (laughs) So so it also, you know, if you if you zoom out broadly and look at the creator economy, it's like every major social platform that's come to market has done so because it took an underserved creator group and made them the star. They made them the hero. So you've got photographers on Instagram, dancers on TikTok, gamers on Twitch, musicians on SoundCloud and Spotify. And it felt like authors were the last underserved creator group. Wow. Gosh, you have. Yeah, you've really figured this out. I mean, that that's a great way to say it. Is it fair to say that the, that the first hurdle, if you will, is actually not about the product? It's about you and whether or not you are obsessing about this problem So it's about the problem. And then second to that, it's about finding a really great market. So going back to my story, my my initial thought was, I'm going to start a new kind of publishing house that treats authors in a different way and does these joint ventures and really focuses on the bringing to content to market bit that I see where I see that is where all the pain point is happening. And I set out on this journey of this is what I'm going to do, had a very influential investor I sent the original deck to like six months in. And he came back and was like, that's not scalable. You're going about it all wrong. I fought him on it, then did all the financial models and had one of those, like, I, you know, I call it the trough of sorrow as an entrepreneur <laughs> because you, you have set out on this path. You've made a commitment. You've raised a little bit of money. And then you realize the way that you're going about solving the problem is completely the wrong direction. But you are blood, sweat and tears committed to the problem. And so that's where you start going through the pivot into how do you stay t- stay attached to that problem, but then also it's finding a big enough market where not only are you creating the product to solve the problem, finding the right people to help you do it. So you have the problem you're solving, I see, is kind of on top of that. The product, the people, and then you want a market that is just a phenomenal market, so good that when you, as soon as you get the right product in there, it's just going to explode. Okay, let me back up a little bit. Let's go back to the trough of sorrow. Was that because of finances? Was it, was it basically saying, this ain't going to make enough money? What was the first thing? Somebody said to you, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's not scalable. And you crunched the numbers. Did you realize, okay, I've got to change the economic model? What was wrong with it? What did, what did you guys come up with that said, we've got to change this? I realized that, that publishing is a very volatile market. It's kind of like venture capital. So, so you're making a lot of bets and you're not always knowing what's, what is going to hit and what is going to take off. And I realized that I couldn't raise enough money to to navigate the high level of risk and fluctuation. I had to be willing to invest a ton of capital into a ton of bets before they started to pay off. And the reason why a lot of the big publishing houses exist in the space is because they've got a backlist to offset the risk of of the costs that they're front loading to bring more books to market, knowing that some of them will hit big and pay for the ones that they're taking a, a loss on. But it was a realization that I couldn't get the I couldn't get enough capital and runway to make the business model work to hit the scale. The other piece of it was that I really wanted to make a measurable difference for the industry as a whole. I I, I wanted to create something that made the the world better for every author, sold more books, created a greater impact in the lives of readers. And I realized that even if I was wildly successful in my initial iteration of, of what the product would be, that I was only going to be a drop in the ocean. Okay. So what did you change about the product to make it solve a problem for a bigger demographic? 
It was well, it was that I saw the problem across the industry. I saw I saw the problem for every author being frustrated about the the promotion. How do I connect with my audience in a meaningful way? And how do you connect with only people who are interested in books? The problem with Instagram is you got a lot of people who are interested in your cat. <laughs> totally. I'm so, so interested in your dogs. Don. Yeah. 63% of my followers really follow Lucy. Yeah. And they don't really care about my books. In fact, they think yeah. I'm a I'm a capitalist and they don't know how they feel about that, but they love the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's how do you build an audience in a meaningful way that actually drives book sales because of the model of the publishing industry? Publishers are investing large amounts of money to acquire titles. And and then, you know, it, the world has changed. So it's how do you reach and target audiences in a way that is going to generate sales to benefit everybody economically? and create that impact in the lives of readers. And so because none of these social platforms were ever built for authors in mind, there's always been a bit of a disconnect and a frustration um, around how you build your audience there and, and really target people that are going to move the needle on book sales. Okay. So now walk me through ev- all the components of what you put into Copper, the app, that solve the problem. Yeah. So, so the first thing you want to do when you're thinking about a, a product is you want to think about what is, the, what is the MVP? What's the minimally viable product that is going to solve the problem? You also want to make sure that you get that right, that you get the MVP right before. It, the industry talks a lot about product market fit. Um, and so that is kind of like, that's the golden ticket that you're going for. You, you want to arrive at product market fit before you try and grow and scale. So a lot of even fundraising iterations, if you're raising venture capital, come from looking at, you know, have you or are you on the path to achieving product market fit? And you want to stay small and keep iterating until you really feel like you have that. And then all the marketing dollars are just pouring gasoline on a flame that's already already burning. So for us, I was starting with a very formal conception of, okay, I want somebody to create a closed group or community to read the book within. And realizing that if we want to reach a, a large set of consumers, we need to have actually more informal interactions around the book. So how do I, as a consumer, choose your book, Don, holding it up right now, and, <laughs> and invite the producer, Bobby, to read it with me in community that open up a chat where I can then invite you to join us. And I'm getting to connect with the author real time and then how you as an author reach readers real time. And we're really building it in community. So one of my biggest pieces of advice is as you're thinking about building a product, find your core group of early users, super fans that you can build in community with and constantly you want to be rapidly learning from, rapidly iterating from so that you know as you're getting closer or further away from that product market fit before you bring it broadly to market. I got to tell you, I'm I'm excited because... You know, as a writer, I would love to be able to go onto an app, say I've got a book out, and let's say there's 500 book clubs who agree to read it. I honestly believe, as a writer, I would commit to spending 30 minutes with all 500 groups. You know, all you have to do is turn on your phone and point the camera at yourself and say, hey, can I answer some questions for a little while? Authors would do that like crazy. Can I, can I add a feature that authors would go nuts over? I'm all for it. Beta readers who can give feedback on a manuscript before it goes to press. Have you put that in there? 100%. You ha- Oh gosh, I'm signing up. You're going to get every author. The only authors you're not going to get are the amateurs who are like, I'm afraid somebody's going to steal my genius. If you say that, you're not a genius. <laughs> I love it. And I love all the iterations. Can you share with our audience 
maybe a list of mistakes that you made oh and mistakes that you're saying, hey, don't do this. What would, what would, so in creation, in the creation of your product, what mistakes did you make that you'd say, dad, don't, don't step on that one. That one's a landmine. This is going to be your first four hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have a tendency because I, I live in the world of vision. I, I have such a big vision for what this will become. And the challenge when you're trying to build to an MVP is to not overbuild on features. So even what we put in closed beta, I had too many features that were a part of that beta product that, that break when they're not perfect. And if it's not simple and so intuitive to the user that they don't have to use any brain power to know what to do or where to go next. That is gold. You're going to lose users. That is why so few apps take off because they're too yeah. complicated. Yeah. Yeah. The simpler, the more intuitive. We just, none of us have brain capacity. I certainly don't. We don't have energy. And so right. you want to get as simple as humanly possible and, and, and get to what is the core? What is that North Star, North Star, you know, KPI, North Star metric that you can build towards? And second to that, I would say to, to quote Stephen King, murder your darlings. <laughs> yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, we have a uh, just a mantra hopper of no sacred cows or or one last way to put it is in a business school term is is ignore sunk cost. So even if you've invested time and energy and you feel so passionate about something, if it is not delivering against that North Star metric and and moving you towards that narrowly defined MVP that can find product market fit and have that explosive growth, then to be comfortable with just cutting it. OK, is there a third? Well, I would say that the the initial thinking is that if you don't see a product taking off, you want to just pour marketing money on it. And, you know, maybe it's not pretty enough. Maybe it's not. And, yeah. and chances are, is that if it's not organically solving a problem for that initial set of users you've invited in, you haven't gotten it right. And one other thing I, I would add that is totally counterintuitive. I think that most of us are super afraid of competition. So we see competition in a space and just assume, well, everyone else is, is or other people are doing it, so I'm not needed. And it, especially if you're doing something that's venture backed, you want to have a little bit of an arms race. And mm. the reason behind that is that basic market economics of supply and demand, it's if there is a real market opportunity, you are not going to be the only person that identifies it. Other people will identify it and start moving towards it. So focus on how you uniquely are differentiating to solve that problem and do it in a way that serves customers better than everybody else. Ali, thanks for coming on. I, I think we're going to be able to keep in touch with you, thousands of us, uh, when we download the app Copper. Go to meetcopper.com and make sure you're on the wait list when it comes out. I'm, I've never been more excited about what we're building, Don. It has been such a crazy, perilous, wild journey, but it's... It's exhilarating because I, I see what's on the horizon and I cannot wait for people to get to use it. All this talk about making products, making stuff, putting it into the market uh, begs a question. And the question is this, is materialism good or bad? Is consumerism good or bad? Is it right for us to make all these products and throw them out there when our landfills are full, people's garages are full, storage space industries are booming? Do we really need more stuff? 
Well, there are pros to capitalism and there are cons. Pros would be that uh, we have the freedom to create, uh, that uh, we have the freedom to achieve the American dream. We have the freedom of choice in terms of what we consume and the market uh, dictates what things cost. Uh, without capitalism, the government might dictate what things cost, might dictate who gets to work in what industry. You just lose a lot of your freedom that way. Cons of capitalism are pretty obvious. It's runaway greed. The fact that any one person can hoard enormous amounts of money. The truth is capitalism, consumerism, materialism is a mixed bag, just like everything is a mixed bag, just like socialism and communism is a mixed bag. It's a flaw in our thinking to believe that uh, one ideology is good and the other ideology is bad. Capitalism works well. I'll say that. It is the greatest experiment in reducing, not eradicating, but in reducing poverty in the history of the world. You know, I've traveled a little bit in my life. I've been to Peru. I've been to Uganda. I've been to Iraq. You know, and, and the less capitalism there is, the less free market dynamics that are regulated, the more poverty exists. That's just a fact. Poverty in America, however, has decreased by nearly 50% since 1950. That's a staggering number. 50%. Now, largely, poverty has been reduced because of government assistance programs, SNAP, food stamps, tax credits for families, really helping the people who are down and out. And I think the government still needs to do that. So arguably, you could say, well, Don, those are socialistic tendencies. Those, are, those aren't uh, capitalistic tendencies. Eh, that's true. But capitalism and the rise in our GDP has paid for those social programs. It's the taxes that went to the government that paid for those programs. So without a thriving, roaring, materialistic, if you want, consumeristic society, the government couldn't tax a bunch of money and help redistribute some of that wealth to the down and out, to the hurting. So that's capitalism and democratic socialism playing with each other. Let's stop pretending that we are a pure capitalistic society. Capitalism and socialism can both work if they exist in balance and to balance each other. People have to be incentivized to achieve the American dream. If they're not incentivized, they won't go out and work. They won't go out and create. They won't create those products that you're creating to go out and sell, to stimulate the economy. If we are not incentivized, we must also be regulated to some degree so that we don't hoard enormous amounts of wealth. Now, if you actually change those incentives, raise those, those taxes a little bit uh, on Wall Street, decrease the taxes that would allow them to turn around and invest in small businesses, what you would have is Wall Street wealth shrinking a little bit, Main Street wealth increasing a little bit. So are the products that we are making good for the world or bad for the world? Both. The products you make as a business may contribute to materialism, but let's stop thinking of capitalism and socialism and consumerism and materialism as either all good or all bad. Few things in life are all good or all bad. The products you make reduce poverty. They fund a government and provide for you and your family as well as the families that you employ. So all that stuff piled up in your garage, yeah, it's, it's kind of gross and you want to get rid of it and uh, you feel bad and you need to uh, purge every once in a while, but don't think it was pure evil, pure gluttony. You created some jobs. You fed some families. You paid taxes. 
you reduce poverty. Let's keep doing what we're doing in moderation. Well, thanks as always for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast. And if you're considering becoming a Business Made Simple certified coach, you can apply now at certifiedbusinesscoach.com. And on the flip side, if you want to hire a Business Made Simple certified coach, just visit us at hireacoach.com. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or honestly, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Business Made Simple podcast is produced, engineered, and edited by me, Bobby Richards. It's hosted by Donald Miller and co-hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson and Kula Callahan. Tim Schur is our executive producer and Melissa Paduzzi and Lindsay Frail are co-producers. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next week. Don't play tell you you're my hero. You're everything, everything. I wish I could be.